This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 153, Stephen Blake on Old Pain to Go. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Get ready for a fascinating conversation. It's Jason Lynette here, and I'm joined this week on the program with Stephen Blake from the United Kingdom. And Stephen has formulated an incredible, elegant, and highly effective protocol simply referred to as Old Pain to Go, which you can actually check that out by heading over to the website oldpain2go.com, and that's two as in the number two, though links will be in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com. There are some incredible takeaways in this conversation. The way that Stephen talks about the divide between the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, the mechanisms of how he begins to reframe a signal that, yes, served a benefit at some specific point, But now that signal doesn't need to be there anymore, so let's reset that old signal so that way new signals are there when necessary. Which, take note, this podcast session is titled after Stephen's Protocol, Old Pain to Go, yet this is an incredible finesse, an incredible layer to filter on top of any of the work that you do, whether it's resolving fears and anxieties or letting go of stress that here's this old signal that served a benefit at one point, but now just doesn't need to be there anymore. So you're going to hear some of the ins and outs of how he communicates with his clients, how he uh, trained himself to become effective in a short amount of time, given the fact he's in a rather rural location that uh, people have to travel towards, and how his pain protocol called Old Pain to Go has become a bit of an international phenomenon, which quite proudly I did the training with him myself a couple of months back, thanks to the wonders of the interwebs. I would throw in the uh, obvious disclaimer that, of course, working with hypnotic pain relief is something that is going to be a little bit different depending on where you are located in the world, in terms of what organizations you're a member of and the appropriate routes in terms of the ethical considerations in terms of how you address this. It's where, by example, in my office forms, there's a letter that's provided by the National Guild of Hypnotists that I supply my clients with. That way, they're able to notify their own doctors in terms of the process that they're choosing to make use of. This way, everybody knows they're on the same team. So I throw in that disclaimer because, again, in different parts of the world, there are different considerations. And uh, I tend to be the one to want to avoid working on uh, pain that has not yet been diagnosed. Quick story here. Uh, It's many years ago. Oh, this has got to be about 11 years ago now. And I was uh, almost out of the old theater career. I was working in management. And here's somebody at uh, at the theater that I was working at that comes to me and says, Hey, I know we're kind of busy right now, but uh, my side is hurting. Could you hypnotize me so this doesn't bother me? And my gut reaction, pun intended, was to say, uh, I think you need to go to the hospital. To which this person became a little argumentative with me. Hey, I thought you were doing this hypno stuff. Help me out. No, if it's coming from your side, I think you need to go to the hospital. Which, at that part of Baltimore, it was practically across the street. And uh, to say it politely, a few days later, he was a little lighter when stepping on the scale because they had removed his ruptured appendix. So there's always these ethical considerations as well as medical considerations in terms of pain. And specifically in this protocol, 
Stephen's going to be talking about what's diagnosed already, something that the signal is no longer serving a useful benefit, and then that's where the considerations come into play. Again, check him out over at oldpain2, the number two, to go. Com. For more hypnosis training as well, I'd highly encourage you to head over to hypnoticworkers.com. Hypnotic Workers is the entire all-access pass to my hypnosis training library. Everything from highly effective instant and rapid inductions, powerful deepening strategies, mechanisms to create hypnotic conviction with all of your clients, techniques for change you won't find anywhere else. Plus, we don't need any more scripts as hypnotists. What we need are transcripts. That's why inside of Hypnotic Workers, there are actually real client sessions. Yes, they signed a waiver, yet you get the entire session from the moment of walking in the door to walking out the door. So rather than just tell you what to do inside of the hypnotic session, you're able to see some of the conversational hypnotic strategies that I'm applying during that intake process. So by the time I ask for eye closure, the change is already in motion. Check that out, hypnoticworkers.com. You're able to get access for as little as $47. And with that, let's jump directly into this week's incredible conversation. This is session number 153, Stephen Blake on Old Pain To Go. It was uh, about seven years old. I actually walked a mile on my own. Uh, you wouldn't allow kids to do this nowadays, but walked a mile to the local library and got some books out. And, and uh, the, the most, the one I can remember most is on hypnosis. And I was just fascinated with it. Um, I can't remember any of it <laughs> uh, or who it was by or anything, but um, it was just um, just the whole concept of it. And, uh, and I've just carried on throughout my life, really. I've um, always been interested in it and, and always wanting to train in it. And um, I had several times when I actually signed up for training courses or was close to and I ran out of money or found out there was family on the way or something interfered. Um, so it was only in 2011 when I actually trained in it. So um, And that purely was... Um, I've actually got into helping people with weight loss through a, a product I sold. And I realized that uh, for most of them, it worked. And for some people, there was something wrong with their head that they couldn't get their head around doing it. And they would lose weight for a while and then it would stop or they disappear for a year or two and then come back and see me. And um, I'd had hypnosis uh, and I'd had some problems that I wanted resolving. And um, the guy had given me a, a confidence tape that I kept playing and I thought, most of these people I'm dealing with, mostly female, um, seem to have that lack of self-worth or lack of confidence. And I thought, if only I could produce a similar tape that I could give to them and, and they could go away and play it and it would help them with the weight loss. Uh, I was going to give it away free. And um, I thought, oh, there must be a way of downloading a script. And I went on the internet and found one. And um, then I knew I didn't know how to read it out to actually become hypnotic with it. Um, and then I saw an advert uh, on the internet for a training course in NLP and, and uh, hypnosis where it offered a free weekend's training introduction to it. And I went along for that and just loved it. I loved everything I saw. And, uh, and then the guy tried uh, an NLP technique for uh, stopping somebody smoking. 
and he was halfway through it, and the guy looked like he was in a trance-like state, and then he made a joke, and the guy sort of snapped out of it. And uh, I was sort of like, oh, it went wrong. Um, and I called the, the instructor in the break and said, um, you, you brought that guy out of trance when you made that joke. And he said, that's why I made the joke, Stephen. And I suddenly went, you mean you can have fun and do this? <laughs> <laughs> and he went, you know what, this is for me. Where do I sign? And, uh, and that was it. So I did a NLP uh, master practitioner level and, and hypnosis at uh, practitioner level. And just, just loved, I loved every minute of my life since. Uh, it was everything it was heading towards. Yeah, that brings to mind a quick anecdote of I'm doing a demo for a meetup event years ago and uh, getting into an excited tone of voice because that's what's appropriate for what we're working on and having someone in the crowd who's relatively new to hypnosis to go, well, if you talk that excitedly, you're going to wake them up. And uh, <laughs> in many ways, it's, you know, it's bringing in that emotion, bringing in that experience, which I love the aspect, though, of uh, at seven years old, finding just books on it. I mean, even though the title may not be there at the at this moment, do you remember any specific themes, any specific ideas that stuck with you from reading that at that early age? Really, it's just a memory of that and the cover. <laughs> Um, and the fact that I'd walked a mile to get there on my own um, just just made it all. It, it was quite magical. I think I think this was it. I, I, and I get that every day in my work now. I just see it as magical. But but it's almost like I'm a magician that doesn't know how the trick works. So when it works, I just have that joy in it. There's um, and it's the same every time I work it. Um, and it doesn't go away, thank God. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. There's, there's just something amazing about this work, that you can help others and, and learn constantly. Uh, and I found every day I learn from people. And I, I always used to be amused by the fact that doctors had a practice. And I used to think, well, they should be good at it by now. <laughs> um, um, but it really is that we do get to practice because everybody that comes in, even with the same problems, has them differently. Is storing them in a different way. It is holds them on, holds on to them to a different level. And uh, it, it's that excitement of being the detective that you go and you delve into things and you look at what the possible answer could be. And, and to me, part of it is the sense of humour that um, if. To understand humour, all that happens when we tell a joke and somebody laughs is that we take them down a path they're familiar with and they think they know where they're going to arrive. And then when we do the punchline, we actually take them into a different field altogether. And and that's the funny bit is because there's a sudden shock of, oh, I thought I was, oh, I thought I knew where I was going. But, oh, that's where we are now. Isn't that funny? And, and this has sort of helped me do really well at therapy because I, I, I'm listening to people, but I'm also thinking of the other angles at the same time. And, and my, my father did it naturally. He was a naturally very funny guy, um, but never had a serious conversation with him in his life because he always just looks for the punchline. And, and sort of that's what I'm doing is I'm looking for the answer all the time. And, and when 
and this is what brings about a, an aha moment in somebody, is that you you seem to be going on the same track that everybody else has took them down, but then you suddenly present them with something so new and bright and shiny, and here's the reason, that suddenly everything makes sense. And, and it rewires them in that second. And, and the joy from that is just overwhelming to see that person change. And uh, it's quite funny because I, I, before people come in for a therapy session, I, I tell them I'm a bit weird. And I, <laughs> and I say, look, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to do a lot more talking than you do. <laughs> and um, when you tell me something that's horrible, I might laugh or I might smile or I might have the entirely wrong reaction. Because all I'll be doing is looking for the answer. And when I find it, I will be delighted I found the answer. But it might not be appropriate for what you're telling me. <laughs> what I love about that is th th there's a just a mindset of we do things differently here, where they're coming in again with that preconceived notion, kind of like the pathway of telling the joke, that they think they have an idea where it's going to go, and suddenly here's this alternate ending that there's this nice benefit we have that they've never done this process, or at least they've never done it with us. Though I, I have to tell you, since I, I spent some time with you a little while ago, that specific phrase around, if, if I smile at something, you know, it just means that I'm seeing where we get to go. I'm seeing what we get to go in and resolve, uh, sort of the twist on it that I've given to that. But that's this beautiful frame to go into that process where uh, the phrase is that we can either use sleight of mouth or we can live in a sleight of mouth mindset that every path into the problem is the same path out of it too correct i i, I just love what i do because i i get to play every day and um it's serious play i mean we're dealing with with you know dark depressions uh, anxiety all sorts of types of pain and um it's. I've, I've been. The more I do this, the more I realise that the overall concept is having a let's see attitude. If we too much focus on the result we think we want and how we're going to get there, we we focus on all the the, the method and the routine and everything else. And having a let's see enables you to go with the flow, take on your intuition. Um, Say uh, sometimes I say random things. I, I never have an idea what I'm going to say next, and um, sometimes I hit the very thing that's happened to them in in, in seconds of meeting somebody. I give them an example, and um, I, I did this with one guy. He, he'd come to have a look at a, a stand that I was on. I was just returning from giving a talk, and he's reading the stand and, and looks up at me and says, "Oh, I'm in NLP and I'm a master practitioner, and I'm really shy." I can't talk to anybody. And I said, well, you're doing a good job now. And he said, no, I really mean, you know, because you're an NLP, I can talk to you, but I can't talk to anybody. And I've had this all my life and I've been all over the world seeking the answer. And, and I just said, well, sometimes it's really simple. You know, for instance, you're six year old. Uh, the teacher gets you to get up and say something and then they ridicule you. And this guy was about six foot four and he melted. And he went, that's what happened to me, and I was six. <laughs> and, and within seconds, we'd had that aha moment and changed him. Um, and he's calling me a genius, and I'm thinking, I'm so much of a genius, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> 
Um, but sometimes just the things come to you if, if you allow it, if you have that openness. And, and I think that's the beauty of all this. It, it's just having that let's see attitude. What's well, that balance? More, it's that balance yeah. of the experience of all the different trainings and really just being in the moment with the client and really calibrating to what's going on. And from that openness now, the right words often just pop into place. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, I, I, I don't like to get into real detail of stuff. So when I was learning NLP and they were trying to tell me which direction the eyes went, uh, but then sometimes it's reversed. It was like, oh, God, don't tell me that. Um, now you've really confused me. And, and all I do now is I just talk to human beings and the observation is an overall one that I notice a change. I, ca I can't name what that change is. I just see something change in them when they say a specific word or a topic, and, or I do. And, and quite quickly after that, I'll repeat that word, if I think it's that word, and see if I get the same reaction. And, and I'm there with it, and it doesn't matter whether it's their eye twitched or something else happened or their breath changed. or I'm not looking for a flushing of the cheeks or... Um, I'm not hung up on any of that. I'm, I'm just watching them and seeing them react. Uh, and the most common thing I ever see, there's a, like a hundredth of a second where it looks like they're going to cry. But their eyes just have that sheen for a split second and then it goes. It, it's like the unconscious produces it and then they go, nope, I'm not crying now. Uh, and it, it's just that split second thing. And if you spot that, you know you're onto something. You don't quite know what it is yet, but you know you're onto something. And, and it's just observing those little subtle clues that, that happen. Um, I, I, I recently had a woman who was going blind. Um, she, that isn't what she came for. She came for fibromyalgia and many other things, uh, which I helped her with. And she just happened to tell me this as she was leaving. And but she told me she was going blind with no emotion whatsoever, but then told me it was three years ago it started and said it with emotion. And I was able to follow that lead back to what happened three years ago and find out uh, and deal with the issue. And it actually did stop her going blind. So, um, but I, I couldn't understand the lack of emotion in going blind for, for three years. And so I just followed up the story. And that was just the observation of the slightest little trace of something on it. What's well, that element, like you said, of being that detective that we don't necessarily, I think the danger sometimes is to see some sort of shift and try to mind read it that, oh, it means this, oh, it means that, as opposed to something's going mm -hmm. on, let's just explore this thing and see where it goes. Absolutely. Just, just to say, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened then? And they go, what? Because <laughs> they don't know they're giving off these signals. Um, but they're just so subtle. But they're just well worth watching out for. Yeah. So as we're chatting here, I'm, uh, we're connecting, of course, via Skype, and I'm seeing the uh, letters after your name of MBA. So clearly something else uh, intervened uh, after seven years old reading the <laughs> hypnosis books. What was What was the path after that? Oh, my God, we need about an hour and a half just on that. <laughs> but briefly, it was a uh, plumber. Um, then I damaged my knee and went into sales and did lots of different sales jobs from commission only to all sorts of things. Uh, then I ended up uh, teaching sales and marketing. 
And uh, when I went on the teacher training course, I also went on a certificate in management, uh, followed by a diploma in management, and then it ended up in an MBA, uh, Master's in Business Administration, um, which I just couldn't imagine at the time doing. It, it, it was far beyond my academic achievements. Uh, I'd left school with no qualifications, hoping that it was the end of my schooling. Strangely, because education has been uh, a massive thing in my life ever since. Uh, and when they sent me to college to learn plumbing, I was horrified that I hadn't escaped the educational system. Um, but I, I've just gone on to do so many things. And even the certificate in management made such a big difference in how I felt about things and how I dealt with things. And then by the time I got to the master's one, it was... It was about the idea of arguing two different sides of a case always. And I'd never thought of that before because I'd always been very black and white in my thinking. And um, e even with friends and things, I, I met people, I either liked them or disliked them. Uh, within seconds, I made that judgment. Whereas this suddenly made me look at things and say, well, don't just pick one side and look at it. Look at both sides and see what you can gain from it. And, and since then, I, I rarely see things black and white. Everything's sort of some shade of grey, uh, depending how you look at it and how long you look at it. Um, and, and it was such an eye-opener for me to do that, and, and such a confidence boost, because um, quite frankly, the uh, three years before that, when I started in the certificate in management, my uh, written skills were that of probably a seven or eight-year-old. Uh, very poor and uh, I'd always read a lot throughout my life that's where I got all my uh, knowledge from um, but writing things was just something I never did uh, and, and to go from uh, barely able to put things on paper to uh, a master's degree three four years later was was just such a boost for me to to go yes I'm not stupid <laughs> um, but it got me into this analysing things and looking at things. And I've always pulled things apart to see how they work. And I'm never happy with things just because somebody says, oh, that's it. Um, I always want to know, well, how does it work? Why does it work? How could, how could I make it work better? Um, this did end up as lots of my toys as a child got broken because I took them to bits to see how they work, but I didn't have the skills to put them back together again. <laughs> um, so, and this is what I'm doing now, really. It's taking everything I learn and saying, does it really need 15 steps in here? What, why does it work? How does it work inside the brain? What causes it to have this massive shift in people? How can we get there faster? Uh, and, and that's what I've developed, is, is this way of looking at things so differently. And, and, it, and it's really interesting because people say now, oh, you're following in the work of, and they name somebody I've never heard of before. I've never <laughs> read a book by, I've never, I have no idea who this person is. And they go, oh, you're following in the footsteps of them. And, and it's just really that I work with logic. And, and if it's logical for me, there must have been thousands of people before me that have had the same logic. Why are we doing that when we could do it so much simpler if we did this? 
And, and that's all I'm about is I take really complicated things and I turn them into simple. And it's it's interesting for me because I do know a lot of the big words involved in it because I have to read the big words to understand them, to change it into simple. But when I train people, I don't use the big words because I know that when somebody says to me, if somebody said like the amygdala or something before I knew what it was, that would be the waste of that whole sentence because I'm now thinking that would be nice, but what's an amygdala? Um, so I don't use any of the technical language and things. I, I do big picture stuff. This is how I think it works. Um, and it might not be the truth. <laughs> uh, it's my truth. And whilst I believe it, it works very well. So I'm thinking, well, if somebody else believed it and it worked very well for them, they could just carry on believing it. <laughs> Well, there's an appreciation for, again, bringing it down to the simplicity, bringing it down to really letting these moments naturally occur that I, I share. There's a quick anecdote of often if I'm training a class in hypnosis or teaching a workshop in NLP, if, if I've had people who are with me on the hypnosis side, and then now they're with me on the NLP side, it's the catchphrase becomes stop giving suggestions. <laughs> Uh, stop being a hypnotist of you're trying to light you're trying to guide the process for the client as opposed to and what do you notice now well what's that feeling and again this more detective mindset of um i'd, lo I'd love to hear your thoughts on just letting silence sit within the process to really observe and let that change occur yeah it's a very appropriate thing um i um i do help somebody who's also a friend and also a friend of the family, and she, quite often she'll sit with us, and uh, I'll manage something new that I haven't done in the therapy session, and then my partner will nip in with something quite quickly afterwards, and really it just needed that few minutes of that person absorbing what's just happened. Um, but it's very difficult to spot that, because I can spot it because I know what we've already discussed and things, but obviously my partner's not aware of what's just happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she will join in with the conversation. Uh, and sometimes it's just that we're just missing out on that bit where they need to process. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I've even done it today. Uh, somebody came, I did a session that ended up uh, quite rare for me to, in a hypnosis session. And then I do the, I'm not going to bring you back into the room, take as long as you like, and when you finish, come back into the house. And I leave them in the chair. And if it's two or three hours, if I've got nobody else after them, that's how long it takes. I just leave the, leave it with them processing. Um, be, because the unconscious does need that time to process, and sometimes it doesn't have the answer. Mm -hmm. And it needs that time to work through and settle down and and think of all the other alternatives, and if it wants to, uh, if it thinks it's a good idea and it's safe to do so, it needs all that element with it. So, yeah, I mean, the, the pauses are probably where the work happens, really. Well, it's that reminder, too, that we, as, as clever as we may think we are sometimes, we don't have every bit of knowledge of every experience, every emotional state, every <laughs> feeling that they previously experienced, or even what they're going through right now, and some of the most meaningful work is often what they're discovering, what they're uncovering for themselves, even if it's something that they're not yet consciously aware of, yet they can tell that's in process. They can tell that's in motion. 
yeah, and, and it's lovely to watch just just their eyes moving about and things happening. Um, and, and that's when to leave them alone. Mm. Um, as soon as they're ready, they'll talk to you because um, most people don't like silence, do they? Um, so they, they interrupt it. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to do. And, and uh, most recently I, I um, created a technique called auto-REM. Yes. And uh, it's just based on the idea that uh, people's eyes know where to go when they're processing things when they sleep. Uh, and I'm a big, uh, a big believer in the let the unconscious get on with it. Um, and literally, you just set people up for their eyes to work it in as they would in REM. Um, no hypnosis, nothing. You just ask them to close their eyes and let their eyes do the, the work to balance out across to the emotional and the logical sides or aspects of the mind, uh, because it's not true that they're different sides um, or not fully true. Um, so I, I just leave them to it. And this is a two or three minute process uh, that you don't really have to know much of anything. You don't need the context. You don't need anything. Uh, they can work on their own problems. Uh, and it's it's really funny because um, I did an event where a woman uh, asked me if um, I'd do some work on her. And we worked side by side at, uh, at an event. And uh, when she first talked, it seemed to be an emotional problem. And, and then we talked again. And, but we got very busy and we had very little chance. And so we had brief, like, two-minute things were, that were interrupted. And the end of the second day, I said, well, have you got 10 minutes to spare? I'll have a chat. And she said, oh, no, I've only got five. And I did this auto-rem on her, thinking it was an emotional problem. And she came back into the room after two, three minutes, just when it, it felt ready. And uh, I, she says, oh, I feel great now. And I said, oh, can I do a recording of this? And I pick up my little camera. And she's giving me a little feedback. And she says, I feel great now. And I said, oh, good. What, so what's happened? She said, oh, my neck and shoulders now can move a lot better and there's no pain there. And I went, oh, was this about pain? She went, yes. I said, oh, have you still got any pain? She said, yes, uh, my shoulders, uh, my, my back. And I said, oh, dear. I thought, I thought <laughs> this was about emotions. I said, I've, uh, I've totally led you down the wrong path. I said, uh, so let me put the camera down. And I went to put the camera down and I went, no, just a minute. I've never tried this before in my life. I picked the camera up again, pointed it to her, and I said, just lean forward. She leaned forward. I put my hand on the shoulder, and I said, just tell your back pain to go away. And there's a few seconds went by, and she just smiled, and she said, it's gone. Nice. So, so this is something that even works on things you didn't even know that they had. Um, and it, it was just an eye-opener for me of this open, let's see bit. Because mm -hmm. I had no idea if her leaning forward and me touching her shoulder would have any impact whatsoever, but it did. Um, and, and it's beautiful things like that, and they're happening all the time now to me. Um, I, I don't know why. My life just gets better every day. <laughs> I'd often describe that as these moments of allowing their the technique to be absolutely no technique at all that if we're you know if we're calibrating some specific uh, suds number uh, you know distress number. And we've brought it from an eight down to a five, and maybe we've used some sort of specific. Let's let's get specific of of a technique to say, okay, I've done a control room process. Now it's done to a two, and it's these moments just to be completely comfortable to say and take as much time as you need to do whatever is necessary to bring it down to the appropriate level. 
And as you've done that for yourself, nod your head and just wait. Yeah. And and we we have to be careful that we don't keep going back in there going, oh, bit lower, bit lower. Right. Um, Because we end up bullying the unconscious into this sort of like, uh, I don't really want to go lower. It's not safe. Um, but it'll keep nagging me. <laughs> uh, and it gives you a low number, but then it gives them it back at the, the, the level it wanted to the following day. Well, let's actually explore that because that's something that, that does pop up frequently. Let's say, let's branch off of it perhaps in terms of whether it's discomfort or whether it's even a fear. And if there is a level where it is appropriate to stick, I'm curious if there's a specific strategy or even a specific story. We're bringing something down to only like a one or a two and maybe even a three was actually the intended outcome, was the best choice for that client? It's often that. I mean, the the best example I can give is physical pain. That Mm -hmm. If somebody has a back problem and at work they're known to have a back problem, so they've got lighter duties or something, then if you totally remove that back pain, uh, and the process I I do does that mainly, um, if you totally remove it, that person that either consciously or unconsciously probably thinks, oh, if I go back to work, they'll put me on heavy duties again, and then I might really damage my back. And so it might be appropriate for that person to go back with a two or three Mm -hmm. that just reminds them they've got a problem there. Or or somebody who's got a long-term thing like a crumbling spine, it might be that they consciously they go, oh, if I don't have that bit of pain, I'm really going to go back to doing cartwheels again and, and i shouldn't be doing them but I, I know if i don't have any pain i'll do i'll be doing that and uh, i quite often mention cartwheels and i say to people if i turn all your pain off will you be doing cartwheels and they go no i go oh all right, we can do that um just to have, just to test them out on how they feel about things um but we have to remember that the results are what the client needs best if we've asked the unconscious to give them the safest possible option, I think we should be trusting that the unconscious has done that. And and we can build in, uh, and uh, uh, even without hypnotic work, I build in a thing where I say, uh, well, this has gone down to a three, and I thank you for that. I would like you to look at how you can get this person down to a zero in as short a time as possible that's as safe as possible so continue working on it until you can achieve that and that's it i just leave it like that Mm. Uh, and so there's that beautiful openness and we have had people who go away still in pain and a week or two later it's gone um but in in the main most of the people i treat are totally pain-free before they leave so um that's only a small amount of cases yeah, the, the examples that you gave there were kind of hinting towards secondary gain where, you know, I'm going to have to do more responsibilities at work or here's something that I don't want to be doing. Yes. Are, are there scenarios perhaps of something that is an ongoing issue uh, where down to maybe like a one or a two may be the appropriate outcome? Um, yeah, I, I would still go back to the sort of back pain and the, um, yeah, needing to do it. I can't. There are some things where they, it won't let me do anything with them because of massive secondary gains. Um, for, for instance, people with fibromyalgia. I, I've developed a method that helps people have fibromyalgia. And typically I can do it in about an hour. 
um, because it's about education about what is behind the fibromyalgia, which is overdoing things. And um, in, in the UK, we have a, a benefit system that works on the process that if you're ill, you get looked after reasonably well, uh, if you're lucky. Um, and a woman phoned to be a volunteer for one of my sessions with fibromyalgia, uh, but told me that she'd just been given a car by the government uh, the previous day. And I said, well, you do realize that you, if you come along and I treat you and you leave pain-free, that car's going to go back. And if they're paying for your house, that's probably not going to stop. Uh, but you won't be getting really back into work and fit and all that for several months. Um, so the system traps them in this, if you get better, um, we'll take everything off you. And the unconscious, to me, has to make a balance between you have this thing that you're currently putting up with, even though it's really intense pain, or I can take off you, 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 you can be out of pain, but you can lose your car, your house, and your kids. Now, what unconscious is going to go, yeah, great swap, I'll have you free of pain, because these are people who are quite willing to make the sacrifice of being in pain to keep the car and the kids and everything else. Um, so we're always up against the, um, sorry, when, when people come along to me, it's not that they believe they'll be pain-free that makes any difference whatsoever. It's that they want to be, mm -hmm. and there's not a really good reason for them not to be. And, and so we're always fighting against the balance of, well, what is the reason for keeping this? Is there still value in it? And if there's still value in it, that value has to be less than the value of being pain-free. So that, that's what we're always up against. Which that's a, that's a theme that often, there's a category that I hear often hypnotists having some frustration with. And it's one that honestly I had a lot of challenges with uh, early on. And now <laughs> having been around it enough and having dealt with some of it myself and learning my own strategies out of it, you know, almost out of a pain relief category that the person's coming in and they just feel stuck. They're just not happy with the way that things are going. And you ask the question of, well, what do you want to have differently in your life? And they don't yet quite have the specific answer to that. And Correct. maybe you'd get into the concept of, well, I'd like to lose these 20 pounds. I'd like to maybe <laughs> cut back in the drinking. Here's this business that I want to start online. And suddenly it's this massive list. And it becomes that paralysis moment of looking at everything and going, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that effort. Um, it's almost too safe to, to stick inside of the issue at times. Yeah, status quo is, is not a great place to be, but it's safe. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, can I go to my overall concept then, really, of, of the conscious versus the unconscious? Because that will help explain this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, to me, it, it's, it's a very big picture thing, and, and it's quite simple of how I deal with everything, whether it's pain or anxiety or whatever, that we have two aspects to the mind, the, the conscious and the unconscious, and that the conscious's job is only to make decisions. It's what makes us human. It's what gives us free will. And the unconscious does everything else, which is it supplies what it thinks we're asking for with our conscious. And, and I make that distinction of what it thinks we're asking for because you just said about clients coming to see you and they always tell us what they don't want. Right. 
they never tell us what they want. It's always if I got rid of this. <laughs> and that beautiful moment where you ask the question in the positive, what is it that you do want? And they pause. And very often they're back into the old story. Yes. yes. Yeah, and they just repeat it again. I yeah. really don't want <laughs> my anxiety. So, uh, and really what's happening is that the, the unconscious is trying to figure out what the conscious asks for. Now, when the conscious, when, when we talk in a head, um, we actually come up with a lot of things that, that we state in the negative. And it's not that the unconscious doesn't understand negatives. It's just that it has to take into account your thoughts and feelings when you say that as well. So I really don't want a panic attack is thinking about a panic, panic attack. It's giving you the chemicals of a panic attack. And if you project it to tomorrow when you're going to go for this job interview and have this panic attack, go red in the face and have a panic attack, just adding I don't want in front doesn't make a blind bit of difference. In fact, it's guaranteed to put you in the position where you now think it's going to happen. You've now rehearsed it happening. You've made all the right chemicals and you've gone, and this is what I don't want to happen tomorrow. And then, of course, you go for the interview and it doesn't go quite right. And you go red in the face. You go, I knew this was going to happen. This will be followed by a panic attack. So it gives you a panic attack. And then as we leave the job uh, or the room, we go out and we go, oh, thank you so much for giving me a panic attack. And the unconscious gives you the thumbs up and goes, that's all right. Any time, mate. <laughs> because it doesn't understand sarcasm either. And, and you'll notice people who have terrible lives use a lot of sarcasm. Mm. And they're reinforcing the rubbish life that they've got by saying thank you for it. This, this is give gratitude in reverse. This is giving thanks for terrible things. And we all know that if you give gratitude, you get more of it. <laughs> so you're giving gratitude for this thing you didn't want, but you phrased badly. The unconscious gave you it, and now you're giving thanks for it. So to me, the unconscious runs programs based on what it thinks you want. And if we think about what, even what's in the wardrobe, and we go to the wardrobe, we've already seen outside the window what the weather's like. We know what we're doing that day. And from the thought, what shall I wear, is all the other subroutines underneath. Well, the weather's like this. Oh, we're seeing friends today, so it needs to be casual. Or we're in the garden, it can be scruffy. Or we're at work, we need a suit on. It, it understands all the subcommands as well. It filters through all that, your culture, the way you were brought up, the whole everything, just from all, that one basic thought of what shall I wear today? Mm -hmm. And it takes all that into account. And when you're in the wardrobe, it points you to the right section. And you only have a choice of about two or three things in different colors. And that's it. But that's the unconscious going, here's a program. I'm running it for you so you don't have to. Now, if that unconscious program gets confused by what you're asking for, it gives you the wrong thing. So it's for us to actually catch on to this. And, and my main thing now with clients is education. Is one of the first things I'll talk to them about is the way they think and the way they think negatively, which usually arises from their entry and telling me what they don't want. So I can get straight into this and we can get into what they do want even if it's just an overall feeling of feeling better or feeling good or happy or whatever it is they want, that we can look at that option. Now, 
to me, the, the next thing that happens is the unconscious can actually tell you or drop massive hints of what it thinks you should be doing instead of what you're doing. But it can't tell us direct because the job of the conscious is to free will. The job of the unconscious is to carry out the commands of what it thinks the free will wants. So the unconscious is not allowed to stop us doing anything. But it can drop massive hints. Uh, and it does. And it does it with pain. It does it with anxiety. It does it with lots of other things where it says, I'd rather you didn't do that. And I'm going to do something to stop you. But it's not its job to stop us doing anything. It can only drop hints. And so I see the job that I do is going in, finding out what hint it's dropping, why it's dropping it, what it wants that person to do, and making them consciously aware of it. So they now get to choose with a free will, with a consciousness, to say, yes, oh, is that what it's about? I'll stop doing that. Or, no, I want to carry on doing that. But it needs to stop telling me. And usually the very act of passing the message across from the unconscious to the conscious, making it conscious, stops it being a message it needs to send out anymore. It's got the message through, finally, of what it was hinting at, and can you imagine the unconscious, how grateful it feels if you take something it's, it's told them for 30 years and they never got the answer and you tell them the answer. This is what it's been trying to tell you for 30 years. Uh, it's, it's the most wonderful thing. And the unconscious must breathe this fantastic sigh of relief and go, oh, thank God you've told them. I was shouting at them and they still didn't get it. <laughs> So then from there, what did that, what was that process to then lead into uh, what's now called brain bargaining or even old pain to go? Okay, so brain bargaining is a concept I developed over about six years of doing anxiety work with people. And because I, I live rurally and people won't get the chance to keep coming out for an hour every week or whatever, I, I did one session fixes, which I, I listened to your broadcast the other day about that. Um, so, but this was a session of uh, indefinable length. So it took as long as it took. And uh, I didn't have a lot of clients, so I was able to do the thing of booking somebody in at 10 o'clock in the morning. They paid me for a session that would be the equivalent of my three hours charge rate, whether it took an hour or it took three, or if it took eight. Uh, and my motto was, you're not going until you're sorted. And sorted would be a definition that we came up between us when they arrived. So they would come in and I'd ask them about their quality of life. And it would quite often be really low, uh, ones and twos out of ten, uh, even noughts, people who were suicidal. And, and I would, uh, after a few minutes of chatting, I would say, would you be happy to leave with a seven or an eight? And they would go, yes. And I'd say, OK, you're now not leaving until you've got a seven or an eight. And I would work with them like crazy, throwing everything at it I knew until I got them to that level before they went home. And they didn't, nobody ever gave up and went, oh, I'll pretend it's that. I, I would be observing them and making sure that they got to whatever level we thought it was. And many people skipped down the driveway. And um, 
it was because I did these one-off sessions and I, I did them regularly and because I made this promise, I also promised that people could come back with the same problem however many times they wanted for free. And, and the whole purpose of that was to make me get good quickly because I didn't want somebody leaving, pretending that it worked and then going off down the road going, no, I didn't work, I'm not going back there again. I wanted people to say, I've spent a lot of money with you and you did promise that if it came back, I'm going to do it. Um, so I, I got very good very quickly, but I soon noticed that a bit like when you drive, when you learn past your test, you, you're told how to drive. You have to have your hands at a certain position and you don't, you're not allowed to leave your hand on the gear lever and things. And, and I thought that I, I got to this position now of ha having about three years under my belt that I'd got a bit lax with it. I, I was still getting results, but I, I couldn't remember any of the techniques. And I met a young guy who was just learning NLP, and he, he mentioned techniques, and I'd go, what's that then? And he'd go, don't you use that? <laughs> and he would describe it. And I did something like it, but nothing like it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. it, it was in there. It was in my knowledge of how it worked. And, and I found I was using how it worked rather than the technique. And, uh, and people were getting better, and I was getting fantastic results. But it, it unsettled me because I didn't know how I was getting the results. And I didn't think I was doing anything right anymore. And, and I literally went back on my NLP uh, training course, my master practitioner course, and um, just to refresh because I thought, you know, I've lost the plot here. Um, and it was only when I got there and saw people learning it, I realized how far I'd come. Uh, and it was a real boost to the confidence and everything else that I wasn't just winging it. I was really doing it really well at the level of the unconscious. I, I'd actually absorbed it until I didn't need to know it anymore. Mm. Um, and, and that was a beautiful feeling to me. Um, and, and since then, I, I, I've worked, I still work with anxiety clients, but I do it a hell of a lot faster now um, because I spot clues a lot faster and I, I've got ways of getting in faster and so on um, and, it, and it's still magical to me but I'm still not doing techniques there's there's hardly any techniques in there and, and sometimes I'll give people techniques for them to do themselves or to take with them should they uh, something arise in the future um, but it, it, it's usually been around find the cause eliminate the cause and, and almost everything else drops to the by the wayside um you see i'm, I'm not uh, i'm not keen on helping people who are eight out of ten to get to become ten i, I think people who are eight out of ten uh, can get to ten there's lots of other people out there who can help them do it and would be really interested in that what do you mean by that uh, going from eight to ten uh, if somebody's doing well for themselves but they just few, need a few minor oh, okay yeah so the uh, yeah. sort of like the performance enhancement the good to great yeah. style client i'm i'm not that that doesn't float my boat yeah I, but if somebody comes in in a really poor state and, and quite often had a whole life of that uh, and i can turn them around you know from a from a two to an eight in, in, in one day uh there's just such a fantastic relief from it uh, and um, and the new work I do with, with pain, just to see people, it, it doesn't just remove the pain, it changes their whole damn life. Uh, and there's just such a beauty in that, in just such quick interventions with people that change them. 
Um, sorry, I'm drifting a little bit there. So quickly, brain bargaining is the idea that the unconscious cannot harm you except to save you from something that's more harmful. So even a pain message is a message that says, stop doing that. Uh, move away from that fire. You're getting too close to it. It actually forces you to take action. And if you take the appropriate action, then the pain goes away. So it's just a message to get you to take action, as is all our emotions and feelings are all drivers. Even anger makes you do something about the thing that's hurting you. So everything's a driver, but we need a driver that actually is overcomes what's already there. So, for instance, anxiety. If you have a high level of anxiety, you need to get into that person, sorry, if, if the client's got a high level anxiety, what you'll do is you'll take that person to a place where you say, this anxiety started here, this is why you got it, there's no reason at all now to keep this. Um, let's let go of this. Now, if you can do a strong enough bargain with the unconscious to say, this was a really good thing when you made it, it protected them for a long time, probably even saved their life in a few occasions. But now they're not in the circumstances of the abuse or whatever it was that was hurting them. Now they're free, they're safe. But they still have this alarm ringing in their head that tells them they're constantly in danger. And the reality is that the more they think they're in danger, the more they're alarmed this is going off in their head. Um, the less they are able to notice real danger because every minute of every day is it's filled with false alarms for them where something makes them jump and then they stay there rigid going, I bet that's a false alarm. Well, one day this will be a bus and it will sound its hooter and they'll go, what's that noise? And they'll stay in the path of the bus. So to me, it's brain bargaining. It's, it's getting to the unconscious and saying, Hey, come on, whilst you keep them in such a high state of alert, they don't notice the real danger. And the thing is not to remove this fear of danger, it's to reset it to the level that makes them alert to danger. We shouldn't take things off people if it's a safety system, but we do need it resetting. And so all my work is about, come on, let's get this back to how it was, how it should be, but we're alert to things. And, and even with the pain, if somebody's in pain all the time, they won't notice new pain that comes. So it gets disguised. So, for instance, if somebody had back problems with an 8 out of 10 pain, and they've had it for years, if they had a tumour starts to grow on the spine, it would have to become a 9 before they know about it by which time they're in severe danger of it being inoperable. So we have to break this thing with the unconscious. And, and brain bargaining is simply taking whatever the problem is and using logic to get the unconscious to understand, great program when you designed it, not a good one now, please stop running it. <laughs> and the minute we get the agreement from the unconscious that it, understands that it has no option but to let go that the problem we always have with clients if it doesn't let go it must still think there's a bigger benefit in keeping it than letting it go 
And, and that's why often we have to go into things like secondary gains and that to see, because there's no logic to the rest of it. So we have to get the story of how it started or what maintains it. And I train people to look for two different stories. One is what caused this in the first place or what was happening around the time that this was caused, because uh, it can be something else appearing as, as, as something. Um, and the second one is what do you believe the outcome's going to be? And, and quite often, particularly with physical pain, the doctor has said, oh, you'll always feel this for the rest of your life. We'll just give you stronger and stronger painkillers. Uh, and, and that is totally untruthful, the work I do. Uh, people do not need pain once the message is done, what it meant. What's beautiful about that is that there's this theme at times of going in and taking something away, which may not be a comfortable thought if it is serving some benefit somewhere in the mind or body, or even let's look at some ongoing situations where this almost uh, battle theme of fighting against this condition, which is putting additional stress in there, where to, to use the term, you're going in and just simply bargaining to go, okay, this is, you know, let, let's reset that. So it's there if we need it for the future. Yes, I, I've, um, I, don't, I don't advertise that I deal with people with cancer or whatever, but obviously people throw things at you when they're there. And I have helped a few people with cancer to get their head around the idea of what they need to be doing. And, and fighting cancer is not one of them. Um, I, I'm a big believer in the don't feed the monster. Mm -hmm. And we feed the monster if we won't look at it, if we refuse to see it, that it's in the room. But we'll talk about it as though it exists. But we can't get anybody to remove it because we don't accept it exists. Or we shout and bawl at the monster, which makes it angry. <laughs> and my approach to things are this ease of things, that when we talk to the unconscious and we're using logic, we don't bully it, we don't shout at it, we just get like a friend who you want somebody to do. If you want somebody to do something for you, you ask them nicely because they can turn you down or not. <laughs> and, and so when we're dealing, even with something like cancer, if we tense ourselves up, we're actually trapping in all those thoughts, feelings and emotions that give us the wrong chemicals which add to our problem. If we can relax into that when we have something, we have to accept it first. Not accept it as in, oh, I like this. Oh, lovely. I have cancer. Oh, that's brilliant. No, I have this thing called cancer. Now, what am I going to do about it? And then you make decisions about what you're going to do about it. And, and it, we all need reminding that none of us know when we're going to die. And, and it could be tomorrow. And if we don't make the most of each and every day, we are wasting our life. Because we can't wait for 10 years to be happy or wait till then till I've got some money or wait until we can't do any of that life. Uh, John Lennon put it well, you know, about life is busy. Well, we make, uh, what happens when we're busy making other plans? Uh, and we just have to make the most of each and every moment and enjoy it as much as we can. We're here for a human experience. We're not here to suffer. Uh, and we either learn from human experiences or we suffer uh, because we trap ourselves into beliefs of, oh, I have to be like that. I have to stay like this. 
And, and we moan about things, but we don't do anything about moving away from it. You know, uh, uh, people come to us and tell us all the problems and they tell us it's their partner or whatever. And, you know, my partner, oh, if it wasn't for my partner. And then you say, well, get rid of them. Uh, I, I often do controversial statements like that. <laughs> and, they, and they go, oh, but I can't because... And I go, well, stay with him then. And they go, oh, but... <laughs> and I, I go, well, it's one or the other. <laughs> stay with him and make it work or get rid of him. You know, it's not... This isn't rocket science. <laughs> but don't come here moaning to me, wanting me to fix it. I can't fix anything. I can make suggestions of that you do have alternatives. And if you tell me you haven't got alternatives, that's why you've got a problem. Because you're just not choosing. And what's beautiful about this is that, you know, the mistake of the student at times is to start to compartmentalize conversations that really everything that's been discussed here, we can apply that over to the client quitting smoking, the client motivating weight loss, the person getting rid of that fear of public speaking that, you know, it's something that may have served a benefit at some point. And we're going to basically just kind of put it in there, the place of resetting it back to, I, I love the phrase of back to the factory setting. So you're the one who can configure it. Yeah, I, I, I do not work on clients. I help clients work on themselves. And uh, my whole new way of working is, although I absolutely adore hypnosis, um, I rarely use it. I mean, today was an exception. Um, and, and it was because the client asked for that the, the previous week, uh, and I didn't didn't do it this previous week. <laughs> um, but it, it's I, to me, there's a, there's a really quick way of entering the unconscious that does does away with so much pre-talk, uh, any build-up or anything. Uh, and it's as simple as this. And uh, all your listeners can uh, I'm going to enter all the heads now. Hello, unconscious. That, that's it. Nice. You're, you're in. You're into their unconscious in the way, in the same way that if you were in a crowded room and I said, hi, Jason, you'd pick your head up and know that I was talking to you. But if I just went, oh, can you get three pints while you're at the bar? You wouldn't know who I was talking to, so you wouldn't absorb it. And, and it, it, it can be as simple as this, that particularly with a client, they've come to you for a problem to be worked on. You are going to talk to the unconscious, um, and they talk to their unconscious every day with everything they say without realizing that's what they're doing. Every thought they have in their head is heard by the unconscious. Everything they hear is heard by their unconscious, and it tries to make sense out of all of it. So now we have somebody new coming along saying, hi, unconscious, who suddenly has the nice manners to introduce himself and says, hi, unconscious, I'd like to work with you today. Would that be all right? And the unconscious is going, this is awesome. And then we listen to them for a while, and we say, oh, I'm just going to tell their, their conscious mind that. Okay, this is all about, it's asking you to slow down because you're overdoing things, and it thinks you'll die. Um, and you're not listening to it. The unconscious then goes, Wow, I've told them that for 30 years. They haven't took a blind bit of notice. Oh, wow, this is awesome. And then everything you say after that, the unconscious listens to. Um, because I usually get the client working on themselves. So this does away with all the barriers. 
th- there's um, uh, because I, I trained in, or I trained other people in marketing. Uh, when I first became uh, having to launch as a, as a therapist, um, I, I looked at what everybody else had out there. And everybody said, oh, I'm a hypnotherapist. I do this, I do that. And then they would have an A to Z of 26 different things. They were an expert in. And I thought, oh, no, that's not the way forward. You're not an expert in 26 things, including zoology. Um, <laughs> Uh, just Which I have a that. course on that coming next week, by the way. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for having me admit that early. But <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I found what happened is if people said, "What do you do?" I would say, "I'm a hypnotherapist," and it would very quickly get round to Elvis and clucking chickens. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was half an hour bringing it back on to helping people with it. Um, I was trying to change their belief system. If I mentioned NLP, it was either what the hell's that or, oh, I've heard of that. I'm an expert at it. Uh, I, did, I did a day's course on it once. Um, neither way was good. So I started to think, well, the best way to promote yourself is to say to the customer, here's a problem you have. And you can't solve it. Here's my solution to it. And by the way, it's not quite what you think it is. Um, that way, you get the work from it. If you promote hypnosis, or just hypnosis, or Reiki even, something, you're promoting Reiki. I do this with Reiki. Reiki's really good for this. They then shop around and find somebody else who's £5 cheaper down the road. If you say this is all about your thought processes, I help people with the thought processes, who the hell do they else do they go to who deals with thought processes? So I, I was getting work from that. It wasn't great, but, uh, but I was telling people what I did for them. Uh, and because of that, I could do any work I wanted when they got there. Because I, I did mention I used to be a plumber. I didn't go to somebody's house and say, I'm just a 24-inch Stilson man. Um, they just wanted the plumbing to work. So, and we should do the same. They're coming with a problem that we deal with, and we should deal with it with the tools we think are appropriate for them whilst we're talking to them. Not what we put on a forum first and say, Fred's coming next week with all these problems, please tell me how to work on him. Uh, that is a crazy way of dealing with clients. We, we shouldn't have a clue what we're going to do with them before they come. It shouldn't be anything like that. Because they'll tell you stuff that changes what they initially told you on the phone. And it's something entirely different when you spot it. Um, I had a guy who came about a sleep problem. It wasn't a sleep problem. It was a problem with his mother. Um, And he was 51 or something. A massive guy. Frightened to death of his mother. So I dealt with what he came for, not what he told me he came for. And I just put myself right off track there. (laughs) as i commonly do (laughs) well what i love about that is i think this is great advice even for those people that i i classify them as hyphenates that they have multiple skills they have multiple things that they do and they're putting them out there perhaps on their business card their website as if like a menu and you're quite honestly saying those things to somebody who doesn't know what most of those words are so it's instead to be that person who helps to facilitate the change, to be that person who helps to get them from one point to the other. And it's your responsibility to put the methods together rather than going, well, do you want hypnosis for this? Do you want NLP for that? Do you want the strategy? 
if if they had the answer, they would have already done it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, if you if you just give them, you know, this is what I do, they they can shop around because they don't know you're better than anybody else at it. Uh, and and the reason, sorry, that I, I have come back on track. So what happened was with people not knowing what how I was going to work with them. Uh, just knowing what they came for, they would come along with massive anxiety, which was most of my work for six years, and they would say, I've got this terrible anxiety, and uh, I'm really pleased you're not a hypnotherapist. And this happened about 40% of clients. Now, just imagine if you're advertising yourself as a hypnotherapist, you, you aren't going to get those 40% of people who come along <laughs> who wouldn't go to a hypnotherapist. You're just not going to get them. And, and so just sometimes the word itself. Now, you and I know that the awesome power of hypnosis, but according to my figures, about 40% of the population don't and are terrified of it. And so I would, they would say, oh, I'm pleased you're not a hypnotherapist. I would say, why? So one batch would say uh, Elvis and clucking chickens, <laughs> and uh, I would destroy that quite quickly. Uh, but the other batch would say, well, actually, I went to a hypnotherapist once, and it didn't work. And I would say, oh, what did you go for? And they would say, I went to stop smoking. And I'd say, oh, so you're still smoking? Oh, no, I stopped, but yeah. I did it on my own right. afterwards. <laughs> and I would say, so why do you think it wasn't the hypnosis that did it? And they said, because I heard every word he said. Yeah. So we have people with a fixed mindset of even when you've done a brilliant job, even though they went for hypnosis, they didn't experience what they thought they might experience. And it got a result, but they thought the result would be different to that, that it, they'd suddenly feel this desire to snap cigarettes in half or something. Or I, I don't know, but they'll all have a different thing of what they think it's about. And the reason I came to this conclusion is when I had hypnosis myself after a severe anxiety problem uh, I developed, um, I had about seven years of it, and I went to see a hypnotherapist, and he took me through all the relaxation process, and of course I was trying to observe as well as be the client, and um, I'm late. he literally laid me down on the couch, very old-fashioned sort of countdown steps and all sorts of things, took me through a forest, and I'm in this forest, and he's talking to me, and I'm going, but I'm not under. Every, every aspect of me and my brain was going, I'm not under, I'm not under. Why is he doing this? I'm not under. I don't know what he's doing. This is all a load of rubbish. I'm not under. And at some point, this guy must have realized that I wasn't fully under. And he said he wanted to show him. So he said, I've tied a balloon to your wrist. Now, he didn't even touch my wrist. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah. And he goes, now it's going up in the air and your wrist is going to rise with it. And I went, oh, yeah, like that's going to happen. And my wrist went up in the air. And then he said, and now I'm cutting the string on the balloon and your hand will drop down and my hand dropped down. And so it took that convincer, but but half the session had gone. Right. And if he if he hadn't have done that convincer on me, I would have come out thinking I don't want to go into hypnosis. This is terrible. All they do is talk to you, you know, try and put you to sleep, and it doesn't work. Um, anyway, I've solved my own problem now because <laughs> I did get better. 
I got back after one session. I mean, that brings yeah. in the importance of a more thorough pre-talk where appropriate. And also, I love that intention of, yeah, he waited to the end to do any bit of conviction as opposed to kick off with that. Get that foot in the door and um, ride it from there. Uh, Stephen, this has been fantastic. And uh, where, where can people learn more about you and your work online? Okay. Uh, the main site is oldpain2go.com. And that's a number two. And everything's on there. Um, I It's a site not primarily aimed at me. It's about all the people I've trained to turn off pain. And you can, uh, there's, there's sort of like two sides to it. There's one side if you want your pain turning off, and there's one side if you want to become a practitioner, help other people turn the pain off. And everything's described on there. There's a Q&A. There's, there's about 80 testimonials from clients, all who leave pain-free. Uh, it's a fantastic system, and I... I, I I'm still shocked when I see the results every day, and it, and my life's just great from it. I, I just can't believe what happens, and, and my practitioners do fantastic work that has me in tears most days. Uh, it, it's just the most beautiful, and to see somebody get relief from pain, um, and, and the best example is a woman who I helped with fibromyalgia in front of about five people. It took me about an hour and she got up and she just shook and cried. And then she explained to the audience that on three occasions she tried to take her own life because of the pain. And if I'd only ever helped one person in my life, that would have made it worthwhile. Uh, just, just amazing that to, to see people escape from pain and, and the relief on them is just the most awesome job on the planet. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, whether it's just simply subscribing to it on iTunes, listening to it in whatever devices you listen to it, sharing it on your social media streams, and of course, leaving your positive feedback online as well. I'd encourage you to, once again, check out Stephen's website, Old Pain to Go. It's a protocol that I was trained in directly by him, and quite comfortably, I've been using, and oh, wow, is it effective. In addition to that, check out hypnoticworkers.com, the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library, all sorts of techniques for change, real client sessions, and every bit of it has been transcribed for you to model for your own session use. Check that out, hypnoticworkers.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.